0: Thank you. So good to have everybody this morning. Would you stand with me, please, one more time? Thrilled to have everybody here for Memorial Day weekend. A lot, a lot of folks traveling at the lake and at Heber and other places and camping and with family. And so we pray God's traveling mercies and blessings on them. But I'm just glad to be with you today. I'm excited. We've got some special stuff we're going to be doing for the weekend as a family and uh, but today it's just a great to be with you. Because this morning is not just the weekend for Memorial Day. This morning is Pentecost Sunday, which is the end of a 50-day-long celebration that began on Resurrection Sunday. And so 50 days later, now Jesus ascended 40 days. After 40 days of walking among the people and proclaiming the kingdom of God, he ascended. And he told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem Until they would be endued with power from on high. For God would send the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. So on Pentecost Sunday, some approximately 2,000 years ago, a nation was born in a day. And it was the holy nation, the peculiar people, the chosen generation, the royal priesthood. The holy nation was born in a day. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, verse 18, can a nation be born in a day? And that's speaking of the coming of the church of Jesus Christ, God's eternal purpose. So this morning we say to you as members of the body of Christ, the New New Testament church, happy birthday. Because this is the day that our church was born. Not victory, but the, the New Testament church. Put your hands together and let's give the Lord praise. Amen. While you're standing, we have three verses of scripture, three singular verses. Our, our series text is Romans twelve two. Let's do it together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Moving quickly to Ephesians five seventeen, The Bible says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? And then one more quickly, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. If I heard this... Once I heard it a hundred times by my mentor, the late Dr. Kelly Varner, who regularly quoted this from the King James, and he said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. We're reading from the ESV this morning. Let's go together. Here we go. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the privilege today to stand in your presence. Thank you. We remember on this Memorial Day the most amazing feat that has ever been done in the history of the world. And that was the unspeakable gift that was given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. He fought the battle and won. And Lord, thank you for the resurrection that declared him to be the son of God with power. Lord, we also pause and we thank you for the multitudes of lives, Lord, that have returned home, some of them with disabilities, Lord, after fighting on foreign soil so that we could enjoy this precious gift of freedom and liberty and be able to meet in this place this morning without fear of being rushed upon and being captured and carried into jail. Lord, there are people around the world in different places right now on this Lord's Day, and they're they're hovered around a single leaf of of a page of Scripture out of the Book of Colossians, or others may have a chapter. And Lord, they're whispering tones and sharing the the truth that is found on that singular page. And Lord, with with fear in their hearts, Father, they 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 hide underground, Lord, for fear of being. Uh, carried away and some of them martyred because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for your protection to be upon your church today. Be with the persecuted church around the world. Lord, again, we thank you for men and women who have given their lives, Lord, as we recognize on this Memorial Day weekend so that we in America could enjoy this. Forgive us for taking it for granted. I ask again, forgive us, O God, for taking the amazing gifts that are given to us as Americans. Granted, and for the people who've laid down their lives for us in multitudes of wars, we give you praise, Jesus. I just acknowledge before you and this people that I can't do anything apart from you, Holy Spirit. You're the only teacher, do what you do open eyes and open ears. Give us the ability to see and understand, or that the gospel might penetrate our hearts, Lord, that it might remove the veil. There are people here today, Lord, who've been blinded by the God of this age. Lord, rip those blinders off and help them to see the gospel. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Today, I want to jump right in very quickly. We're talking about the provision of God. Say this with me. Where God guides, God provides. The premise of this series is about guidance. We've quoted it every week now from Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. NIV says, Prove it. Um, the next verse for our text, for our series, for a message text today was Ephesians 5:17. Do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So our whole desire is to make decisions based on the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Those are not three different wills. Those are three different adjectives describing God's one will. It's good, acceptable, and it's perfect for your life. We are a self-absorbed society. We make plans, and then life happens. And when things don't turn out the way we want them to, we spend time as an afterthought, too often, I, I'm, I'm sitting with someone who is in a crisis and they utter these words because it's become cliche in our society. Well, I've tried everything else, I guess I need to pray. Or I've done everything else, I need to see what the Word says. And we as believers need to go to the Word first and then let it have final authority. We need to get on our face and we need to pray and seek the will of the Lord. We can understand what the will of God is. We do not have to make foolish decisions and then waste time afterward begging God to bless our plans. Because if we would make plans based on the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, we would automatically have his favor. We wouldn't have to bombard the gates of heaven going, God, will you please bless this business? When if we would have made a decision in the first place and recognized that the word says, don't be unequally yoked in covenant with an unbeliever. And you go into a partnership and a business with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And you guys are like the scripture says in the old covenant, don't hitch up or yoke an ox and an ass together. Because you have two different natures. And the, maybe I should have said donkey. Forgive me. I'll translate the King James for you. <laughs> uh, don't yoke a donkey and a, an ox together. Uh, because you, you have two different not only are the animals a different size, but they're, they're not going to work the same way. And so when you enter into an agreement, into a covenant, it's obvious you've heard it said from Second Corinthians chapter 6 that we're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That, a, that applies to our marriage decision. The most important decision you'll ever make in your whole life is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. The second most important decision is who you decide you're going to marry because you, you, you better make a good choice because it's either going to be heaven or hell on earth, one or the other. And sometimes it's a little bit of one trying to get to the other one. And don't wave at me, don't say amen, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you looking at me with a strange tone of voice there this morning. So what I want to say is, is that we we are attempting to discern these guiding lights. And if you see the front of your bulletin, or even this plane, the corner of the plane, We've got this idea, we're preaching this series that are there are lights that basically like a runway. A pilot will point the nose of the plane down in between a row of lights on both sides and he knows that if he gets the landing gear between that row of lights, those guide lights literally will help him land that plane safely. We can make decisions based upon the good, acceptable, perfect will of God and we can land the plane to have the favor of God on us, making critical decisions in life about job transfers and promotions and husbands and wives and families and partnerships and th- just all these different things that we have to make decisions concerning. A- a- and we've been through these. We've talked about scriptural confirmation, about inward witness, Romans 8, 15, inner, inner conviction. We preached about women's intuition and the guys have a gut feeling. That's there by God. You can just you can just know down in your knower. 1 John two, 2, 20 says we have an unction of the Holy One and we Know all things. The problem is you just don't know that you know all those things yet. But you have the one on the inside of you who has all knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ and Christ is in you. So we have to access those. We have to let this mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus. And we've already preached through five, six of these. Today's number seven. We've talked about the peace of God last week. Umpiring, letting it rule in our heart, Colossians 3. Today we're talking about the provision of God. Where God guides, God provides. The more important a decision is, the more of these guiding lights you should have. You should have lined up. Same principle applied to um, a, a person who is a captain of a boat. There were harbor lights at both sides of the harbor so he could guide the boat safely into harbor. Uh, we recognize this morning that Jesus Christ is the lighthouse. He is the light of the world. And so we're, we're making decisions, hopefully, that, are, that help us to discern by proving, by testing. We can discern what the will of the Lord is. Today, we're looking at provision, uh, a.k.a. money, coin, cash, moolah, um, whatever you want to talk, however you want to call it. Somebody has to recognize that there's a bottom line to this thing, that we don't just live in the red that it really does matter how much is in your checkbook. And we're not living out of a place of confidence in the flesh. If we've seen a season of success and had great prosperity, we can never let ourselves trust in riches or in wealth because they're fleeting. Uh, wealth won't deliver you in the day of judgment. The Bible says righteousness delivers you from death. Okay? And none of us has any of that apart from Jesus Christ. Okay? It's he who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we might become or might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Second Corinthians 5:21. So this morning we're talking about provision. Provision is all kinds of things. Provision is the peace of God. Provision is shalom, wholeness, integrity. Provision is God who delights in the prosperity of his servants. Psalm 35:27 says. We begin with Philippians 4:19. It says, "My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Say it with me. My God Amen. shall supply yes. all, of all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Glory now, a lot of times you hear you know, TV preachers teach this and especially if you'll send in a $1,000 love gift and I, I don't want to, I'm not being facetious, but I'm, I'm being serious. There is the manipulation and twisting of some of these things. Uh, that does not undo the truth of what's in the scripture. The most favorite scripture in a recent survey of believers and non-believers alike, it was cited, the one most listed was I'm sorry, was Psalm 23 verse one, "The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want." And let's just face it as Americans, we don't like to want. We don't want to be in want. We don't like lack. OK? We want everything to be there when we need it. And the reason that I have put this one and next week's, the seventh one in the series of the, of the seven guiding lights, it's called circumstantial evidence. The reason I have put these at the end is because these really should not be the determining factor. Money alone should never be the determining factor in terms of the decision that you make. You've got a promotion. The Offer is that you pick up and you move a thousand miles away, and you're going to get twenty thousand dollars more a year. Sometimes that is the will of God. Sometimes it's not. What I'm saying is you don't let money alone be the deciding factor. There are times when it's great blessing and God opens it up and the transition is phenomenal. There are other times it just doesn't happen. I have had friends who have picked up and left and moved, pulled their children out of school systems where they, they had solid roots and friendships, pulled them out of a church where they were being fed, moved to another city, and just squandered, just literally wandered spiritually. And kids couldn't connect. And just, I mean, the whole thing was just upside down, hell on earth just about. And many times just really g- regretted the whole move in the first place. Now, they had $20,000 more in their budget, but nothing else was there. There was no peace. The relationship began to be challenged. Because of the tension and the stress and all those kinds of things And so when you're looking to make a major decision in your life You want to line up these guiding lights And money provision is one of them It should not be the only factor It shouldn't be the deciding factor Okay Because you can have all the stuff and not have the peace of God Okay Now the blessing is is that when you can have the peace of God And then out of that all the other blessings come along with it The provision Are you hearing me? All right, so as we look, we're going to look at some lessons from the lives of faith just very briefly. You don't have to turn there, but just remember with me Adam and Eve. God created them and set them down into an environment that was already a finished work. It was a garden that was completely landscaped. Trees are already growing, producing fruit. God didn't look at Adam and Eve and hand them a packet of seeds by burpee and say okay here's you a hoe now go plant God actually built the whole garden And then he made adam and eve and set them down into the garden and their job was just to maintain what god had already Perfectly made and put into place. How can you beat that? How does that apply to me pastor? Well, I believe that that's a pattern for every one of us That into the circumstance which god has put you right now Everything that Adam and Eve needed was already there in abundance. Now they had to move around and taste some fruit and shake some trees and continue to plant some seeds, recognizing some universal laws that God had put in place that everything was going to reproduce after its own kind. He begins to understand agriculture. He begins to understand all the processes of how these animals and these plants work. Everything that Adam ever needed was already provided for him before he was set down into that environment. What I'm saying to you this morning is that right now, instead of looking at your personal area of lack, if you'll begin to investigate the trees if you'll begin to shake some trees, if you'll start to look around and see that God put into your hand the seed-bearing plant, see that God has given you some, some skills, some talents, maybe a desire in your heart, maybe a vision for the future, right in your present environment where you only see problems, there are resident the solutions for your future right there in the garden in which God puts you. How about Noah? Noah. He gets a word from God. God speaks a word regarding future judgment that's coming to the earth and God gives him a vision of the solution. He tells him about an ark that he's going to build, and he shows him a pattern. He gives him a blueprint. There's the forest. Cut down the trees. Hew the lumber. Start to build. God gave him time. It took him 120 years. What can we glean from that? Not only will God give you all of the provision in terms of raw materials and resources and a vision and a plan, he'll also give you the time you need to accomplish the destiny that he's called you to accomplish in your lifetime. And it will bless a future generation. Amen. Israel in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They've been there 430 years. It's been difficult. There have been taskmasters and pharaohs who've forgotten the love they had for Joseph and for his father Israel. And the taskmasters have gotten harder in every generation, and they've built great cities and pyramids, and they've stored up grain. And they've made the Pharaoh rich and he's forgotten who we were and he's forgotten how his great-great-great-grandfather loved us and now we've become a people that have been enslaved and God leads us out and they don't even get their feet wet in the little trickling waters of the Red Sea that God opened the watery hinges on for them before there's some people already murmuring and saying, why did you bring us out here to this God-forsaken wilderness to die? Wait a minute, pastor, what are you saying? Are you saying that the God of endless supply will actually lead me into a place that looks completely dry and barren? That's exactly what I'm saying because if you put your faith in him, you'll wake up every morning and your breakfast will be rained down on the lawn for you. It's called manna. And there's a rock that'll follow you around that the prophet of God will smite once and from then he's supposed to speak to and out of that rock that followed them, there was a gushing river that gave them something to drink. The psalm says... 40 years traveling in the wilderness, and their clothes and their shoes did not wear out. Oh my goodness, I wish that I could get a hold of some of that. Manna by day, water when they're thirsty clothes and shoes don't wear out. They had the first HVAC system known to the history of man, a cloud by day to keep them cool, a fire by night to keep them warm, and it was a GPS tracking system. It was a guidance system. When the cloud picked up and started moving, it was their time to pick up and move camp because their provision had to do with where the cloud was because the cloud was the Spirit of God leading them. Now, as New Testament Christians, we're not looking to a cloud in the sky or a fire at night, but the cloud has moved on the inside, and we now have an internal... GPS system. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And guess what? We have a map. I don't have an an old-fashioned copy of a a leather-bound Bible, but I've got hundreds of translations right here in this little technological device. So if I hold this up and I start talking about the Word of God, you have a copy of the map. You have the Christian's charter and the soldier's sword and the pilot's compass and the traveler's map. It's tied up right here in the Word of God. And you can get some scriptural confirmation out of this thing. Come on, somebody because he will not lead you contrary to what he's already written down in his holy, revealed, inspired, inerrant word of God. Come on, somebody help me preach a little bit in this place. (laughs) Abraham, a picture of our purchased salvation. Genesis 22, don't turn there. just going to tell you the story. He's 75 years old when God makes him a promise and says, you're going to have a son, no sign of any children yet. Sarah is only already on up in years herself. And it takes about 25 years for the promise of God to come to pass. And Abraham's 100 by the time Isaac comes on the scene. In between that time, they got a little ahead of God. Sarah wakes up one morning with a crazy idea. And she says, Abraham, you know, I've got this sweet little handmaiden, this Egyptian bondmaid. Her name is Hajar. Sometimes in America we say it Hagar. Uh, it's actually pronounced Hajar. And Muslims today, because they're tied to Abraham through Hagar and Ishmael, one of the important things that the Islamic people do in the five pillars of Islam is that they, they do a Hajj. They do a travel to the holy city of Mecca. So Hajj is from Hajar. But she's, she's a bondmate, okay? And the promise line is going to come through Isaac, christ who is the fulfillment of all the covenantal promises so all of a sudden abraham decides one day okay you know what sarah this is a pretty good idea now later it came back to haunt him because she reneged on her great idea as soon as hajar gets pregnant and she's walking around camp and abraham is strutting around camp going "Uh uh-huh that's mine because he was pretty old okay just the fact that He was able to get her in that state of expectation he was pretty proud of. And so she has the baby, and here comes Ishmael. And guess what happens? When you try in your own ability to bring about the promise of God in your strength and in your time, you will birth an Ishmael every time. And Ishmael costs a lot of money to feed, and he's a wild donkey. Again, I translated the King James. That's how he's described in the book of Genesis. He is a wild donkey. He's rebellious. You try to birth the promise of God in your own ability, you will birth something later that you wish you hadn't fooled with. 25 years later, the promise of God comes on the scene. He's already, by Genesis 22, is a teenager by now. So we're looking at about 40 years after the original promise. And God tests Abraham in Genesis 22. And he tells them, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go up to Moriah and sacrifice him. God was testing Abraham to see whether or not he loved the promise of God more than the God of the promise. Are you hearing me? God takes us through seasons like this sometimes to help us. Not that he doesn't know the answer. By the way, let's, let me give you a real important little hermeneutical principle here. When God asks a question of someone in the Bible, it isn't because God doesn't already know the answer. It's because he's wanting to show the answer to the person he's asking. And so God challenges Abraham to see whether or not he's going to love the promise of God, Isaac, that's now manifested more than he loves the God of the promise who gave him that son. Genesis 22, he goes up to Moriah and he's got an entourage traveling with him. And he tells the men, he says, you guys wait here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and we'll come back to you. Hermeneutical principle says the law of first mention is critical. The very first time you find the word worship used in the Bible, it's associated with the extreme concept of sacrifice. The law of first mention teaches us that the way we see a word first illustrated and defined in the Bible is literally the way that should be carried all the way through. So if you're going to be a real worshiper, you're going to have to live a sacrificial life. It's sacrificing sometimes the things that I feel and the things that I want, the things that I think, in order to be able to have what God thinks and what, what, what God wants and what God feels. That's what Jesus prayed when he said, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Abraham literally is marching up to Moriah Isaac is a young teenager, and he's carrying the wood. He's got the fire. He has the knife, and he looks at his father, and he says, Father, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Here's the knife. Where is the sacrifice? And God says something to Abraham, and Abraham says it, inspired by the Lord in chapter 22, verse 8. And the scripture says, God, son, let me tell you something. God will provide himself the lamb. And there's more meaning in there in that today than I can even dig into. It's not just that a lamb's going to show up on the scene, but God will provide himself the lamb. Thousands of years afterward, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is God in the flesh who comes down and provides himself the lamb. Emmanuel, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So the fulfillment of that is naturally to Abraham in a moment when they're going to see a ram caught in a thicket, but the fulfillment of that to the whole world The covenantal promise that is fulfilled is found in Jesus Christ alone, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We hear very few messages on the trust of Isaac. We hear about the faith of Abraham. But how many times have you heard messages about a teenager who was willing to lay down across the wood and let his daddy tie him down with ropes and with faith and trust in a father that was about to raise the knife and a father who had enough of a hearing of the voice of the Lord could stop when the angel said, okay, enough, stop, don't do it. Abraham went up the mountain expecting that if God actually let him go through it, that God would raise him up. It would be a resurrection. So Abraham actually received Isaac resurrected in type and a figure. It's a picture of God, the father who slays his only begotten son for us thousands of years later. And who after three days, the sacrifice is received and, Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. He goes up and he worships and Isaac lays down on the altar and Abraham ties him down. He raises the knife. The angel stops him. It amazes me that after actually getting up enough courage to follow through with the original instructions... I would be so focused on gritting my teeth, God. I don't know how I'm going to do this because, you know, I love you. I do. I really, God, I love you more. I love you because you gave. I know who you are. You, you touched me and you changed my life and, and you gave me this son. And I know that if, if you let me take him that you're going to raise him up. And I would just be so focused and so stirred up to try to follow through and obey what God was calling me to do that I don't know that I could even hear the angel stop me. But Abraham was so sensitive that he heard the angel of the Lord that said, stop. Thank God he did. And they turned and looked. Eh, There's a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Picture of Christ whose own authority is caught in the thicket. The sins of the world who have captured him. And he is laid on the altar and he lays down his life to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that place of ultimate sacrifice, God made a promise to Abraham. He said in this place the Lord will see and provide. And God reveals himself to Abraham in one of the, one of the multiple names of God, one of, well, this, this combination of Jehovah-Jireh. And it means the Lord who sees and provides. Everybody say provision. If you just break up the syllables here, you have the prefix pro, and then you have vision. In provision, you see that there's something who, that beforehand, pro Vision, he sees it beforehand in God's providence. Before tomorrow ever gets here, God is already there and he has provided for you what you need when you wake up and head into tomorrow. He is the providential one. He is the Lord who sees your need tomorrow and he's already there providing it. The Lord will see and provide Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Unlimited provision is then made a promise to Abraham. God says, because you have loved me and you've set your love upon me, he says, in multiplying, I will multiply you. And in blessing, I will bless you. He again confirms the covenant that he had initially inaugurated with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to to bless him and to make him be a blessing, that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. So Abraham is the father of our faith. Faith moves mountains. We sang it this morning. Faith is the substance of things we hope for. Come on. The evidence of things not seen. The mighty weapon that will move a mountain if you will just believe. Faith is now. Faith is how I talk. Come on, help me. Faith is how I walk. Come on. Faith is the mover of mountains If you will just believe And then we sang the bridge Faith moves mountains No, 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 If I believe My friend Kevin Singleton wrote that back in the 90s We resurrected that this week Used to sing it all the time years ago It's got a little bit of a Pointer Sisters feel God, Gotta love you some Pointer Sisters now I'm telling you Pastor Alex over there Slappity bass man You know <laughs> Having a good time? I better quit and get in the word here before I mess up. <laughs> Faith. Jesus says in what is the smallest known particle in the world at that time was a tiny, tiny mustard seed. Slightly larger than a ground speck of pepper. Pepper peppercorn much bigger than a grain of mustard seed once it's ground up and you can season your food with it you know it's just a tiny little speck and that's about the size of a mustard seed and it's dropped into the ground and produces a significant sized plant Jesus says if you've got faith as a grain of mustard seed that size you can speak to the mountain and it will be cast into the sea if you doubt not in your heart but believe those things which you say will come to pass Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Mark 11, 22, 23, 24 tells us. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Amen. All right. I'm, I'm down to the meat of the message now. That's where I'm going to bring it home. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to bring it home now. <laughs> All right. This is a place called there. We're still carrying this idea of provision. Jehovah Jireh, Provider, Latin, Providence, Provision, Provide, to see beforehand. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 17. Just listen. I didn't put this on the notes for you to read with me, but I want you to really listen. Pay attention. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives... Before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Prophet of God is speaking, God's representative. It's not going to rain until I say. Now, this is a gutsy, Rambo, animal skin wearing, kicking butt and taking names kind of a prophet. Okay? I mean, this guy, if there were, if there had been UFC fights in Elijah's day, he would have been in the eight-sided ring. He would have been an, an octagon man. He was fearless. He was a man's man. And he stood up in the face of Ahab, a wimpy king, and Jezebel and prophesied the word of the Lord. He says, I don't care who you think you are. I'm telling you, Jehovah God has sent me, and he says, it's not going to rain until I say. And so he was actually declaring the word of the Lord in the face of a government that was trying to take Israel down a bad path, the service of the God of Baal. They had Baal priests and Baal gods all over the place, great big bulls that they worshiped. So he says, it's not going to rain except by my word. Verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. Verse 4. You shall drink from the brook. Everybody say, drink from the brook. brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Say that phrase. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth. (laughs) That is east of the jordan and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening And he drank from the brook after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land now who said in the first place there's not going to be rain who said Elijah so it was his own prophecy That brought the conditions that eventually dried up the brook and we're going to talk about that in a minute I'm halfway through with my scriptures. I'm reading so hang with me Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Everybody say, there. There. Behold, I have commanded a widow there. Everybody say, there. There. A widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there, everybody say, there, there, "There gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. This lady's got a very pessimistic worldview. It's bad. Government subsistence has run out. There's nowhere else to turn. Handful of flour, a little bit of oil, going to bake a cake, and me and my baby are going to eat our last meal, and we're going to die. Man. Sad, sad, sad situation. Elijah brings the word of the Lord. He says, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. You know, that's always usually what the word of the Lord brings to you anytime he's about to put you into a situation where you would normally would be afraid. Most common phrase the angels always said when they showed up was, do not fear. How many of you know why? If an angel showed up in your room, probably the first thing you'd do would be under the quilt. You'd be knees knocking together, shaking. Don't be afraid. Do not fear, for the Lord your God is with you, he told Joshua. Over and over and over and over you see the phrase, do not fear. And Elijah is speaking a prophetic word of the Lord into a vision of the future that this poor little widow is totally dominated by nothing but fear a friend of mine in memphis tennessee and this acrostic has been used around the world in the 1980s was very famous for actually writing up words that within the acrostic is the definition of the word sweet little lady who was a college english teacher wrote this acrostic fear is false evidence appearing real false evidence appearing real say that with me false evidence appearing real when you look at your circumstances and you do not see the god above them who is bigger than who can rule in the face of them who is lord over your circumstances then you can only look and see the limited perspective and it will strike fear in your heart and the word of the lord from the prophet is first of all do not don't look at false evidence appearing real Because the Lord is bigger than this. Do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but first make me. Go ahead and cook your cake. But he says, this is just gutsy. This is so gutsy. He says, you know what? Don't be afraid. Go on and make your cake. Take your handful of uh, uh, flour and your little bit of oil in your jug and go on and make your cake. Do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Oh, my goodness. Just something, I mean, it just for a moment just almost ticks you off This lady, all she has is a little bit of Handful of flour and a little bit of oil And she's going to make her cake And her son and she are going to eat it And they're going to die And you, prophet of God Are telling her to let you have some first Why, you great big selfish clod But actually Her obedience is going to trigger something If she'll just let faith arise in her heart For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. How many of you know it took three and a half years? They were in a drought. So she went for three and a half years where she didn't have to run down to Kroger and get another bag of flour. She would scoop out and make a cake And the next day she'd look in there and that scoop that she had just scooped had just reappeared and the flour just kept on multiplying. And she'd pour out a little bit of oil and she'd put it back on the shelf and the oil never did diminish. She'd look back up there and the oil would just be brimming right at the top. Three and a half years of unlimited, endless supply, the provision of God being poured into her life because she chose to obey the prophetic word that Elijah had spoken into her life. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. I have three things here, and I want to finish. First section of the story. I have commanded the ravens. Everybody say, I have commanded the ravens. Now, you know, Elijah has had opportunities to eat in the palace of the king. They've they've had some pretty big goat roasts. They wouldn't have barbecues the way we do today because they're not obviously eating pork, but they're, he's, he's enjoyed feast and famine. And so the Lord gives him a word and he says, I want you to go down here by a certain brook called Kareth. And he says, there you'll drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. And you can just imagine what the prophet of God initially thought because ravens, according to the book of Leviticus, the Old Testament law were a dirty bird and you you didn't have anything. They were unclean. You did not eat a raven. You didn't Touch you certainly didn't eat food that had been touched by a raven But yet god says I have commanded the ravens to feed you and the scripture says That the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening Now i'm going to tell you there's a couple things that absolutely amazed me about this because i've just never seen looking out In my backyard the blackbirds and the crows and the ravens that you see once in a while I've never seen a raven flying over my house with a quarter pounder with cheese in his mouth and him not eating it So the fact that the raven is actually doing this for an extended period of time and they're bringing him breakfast in the morning and they're bringing him dinner in the evening, bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and they're not consuming it on the way is a miracle in itself. But let's face the fact that Elijah is a good Jew who who loves the law of God and he's concerned about the vessel that this thing is coming through. So many times I hear people tell me, you know, I just, I I really hate the company that I work for. It's just not a good company. And I just want to look at them and go, do you cash the check when they pay you? Well, yes. Well, hush then. Because there's really not a lot of international corporations that really are righteous. If you work for a small business and you, you, you have a boss that is a Christian who can, you can really respect. That is a great blessing. But I guarantee you even that there's still people with very real problems and sin issues that are, that are, that are resident in the people of the workforce, if anything, that you have to deal with because we're dealing with people that are all humans and none of us are perfect yet. Yes. Come on, help me this morning. That's right. Too many times we get focused and we don't hear the message because we don't like the messenger that God sends it through. We don't like our company that we're working for. But yet it is the source that God has brought to put food on your table and clothes on your back and pay your mortgage. Come on, somebody. And instead of criticizing and complaining how amazing it would be if we would act like Christians and show up to work on time with the great attitude and we would bring solutions to the table instead of criticizing the supervisor that we think doesn't like us. Y'all don't shout me down now, Okay. It's important that we learn to receive even from some messengers that we might have some issues with because God can use a dirty bird. Somebody asked me one time recently, Pastor, if I win the lottery, is it okay if I tithe? I said, if you win the lottery, you better tithe. I'll come by and pick it up. (laughs) Now some of you are already offended and you won't hear another word of the message that I've said because you think that I'm advocating a lifestyle of gambling and I am not. I'm just telling you that what once was the devil's money, once it gets given in an offering here, it gets sanctified. Money is not moral or immoral. It is amoral. And it becomes by what it is used for by the person that is spending it. Give me a dead president. Put it in my hand. I will use it to advance the kingdom of God. And it becomes holy. It might have just come out of the hand of a drug dealer. So don't look at me in that hyper-pious, kind of holier-than-thou attitude. That some people think about, oh, well, you don't, that's the devil's money. Let me tell you, I'll pray over that money and it'll become God's money real quick. Come on, we can bless some people. We can support some missionaries. We can, we can get some clean water to two-thirds of the world that doesn't have a clean water to drink this morning. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? It, it, it's so amazing how folks get all religious about all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you, God can use a raven. If he can use a raven that's a dirty bird to feed a prophet Wherever it comes from, God can literally overwhelm you with provision and supply from areas that you're not even looking for. If you, like Abraham, will live a sacrificial life. If you, like the widow, will live an obedient life. If you, like Elijah, will live a listening life and obey and go there where God says go. It's amazing how God can make your here, your place of lack, become there. And he does that by putting the cross in front of here and heaven becomes earth. The will of God becomes manifest in your life. The kingdom of God comes on the scene. And we pray according to the instructions Jesus gave. Come kingdom of God. Be done will of God in earth as it is in heaven. Right down here in the nasty now and now. The sweet by and by will take care of itself. But I need God to show up in my nitty gritty low down no good nasty now and now. When I release my faith, he can blow mountains in the sea and he can cause a raven to fly over and drop me a quarter pounder with cheese. Make it a double, hallelujah. (laughs) If you're going to pray and God's going to drop a raven to, to deliver your food, have more than Happy Meal faith. Come on, somebody. Matter of fact, why aren't we even talking McDonald's? Let's talk Angus B for something. Y'all get anything out of this. The brook dried up. Well, ain't that something? Man, I'm just tooling right along here and the God's blessing my business and all of a sudden the contract ends and I'm looking where are the next one going to come from. And the brook dries up and the first thing I do is, man, as a good charismatic, we get together and we have a prayer meeting and we rebuke the devil and we bide in the name of Jesus and we lose prosperity and we're just going around in all kinds of charismatic calisthenics and making a lot of racket and we fail to realize that the situation with the brook has everything to do with a word I spoke three years ago. Oh, my, my. There's a famine in the land because there's a drought. and There's a drought because I said there won't be any rain until I speak. A few years ago, you've forgotten it, but you prayed and you said, God, I give you my heart. I stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave himself for me. I stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I have is yours, and God, I want to walk a sacrificial life. I want my heart to be right with you all the days of my life. And God, if you ever see me veering off, then shut the thing down, and you don't even realize it. Maybe the circumstance and lack that you're walking through right now is because God's honoring a prayer you prayed 20 years ago. Because maybe he's bringing you back to a place of complete dependence upon him. Because you know what? Whether you have a dollar in the bank or you have a hundred million in the bank, if we don't continue to live by the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, no matter how much you have and how much success you're able to attain and how much prosperity you're able to walk in, if we can't every day recognize that all it takes is for God to blow on it once and that stuff's all gone, God who gave it to us in the first place, our... Our source has to be him and not our bank account. Our source has to be him and not the leading economic indicators. Our source has to be him and not who's in the White House. Our source has to be him and not the party that's running the two houses of Congress. Our source has to be in him. It has to be in Jesus Christ. Have we not figured out yet that salvation is not going to come to America by a political overhaul? You can't vote it in. You can't vote it out. You can't legislate it. How you vote is not going to bring revival. Come on, somebody. Now, don't run out of here and take what I said out of context And think that for one second it doesn't matter how you vote You vote your conscience, you vote how the Lord leads you And I'm not going to be one of the preachers that tells you how that ought to be Because I I was blinded by the right and by the might of politics The early 90s And for the last 15 years, for the last 10 for sure I've been doing everything I can to pull apart the idea that to be a Christian, you have to be a certain political affiliation. Because Jesus was not not a Pharisee and not a Sadducee, and he stood literally as a third alternative, informing both of them and calling both of them to repentance. And the church is not to say, well, I'm a Republican. The church is not to say, oh, I'm a Democrat. The church is to be the church and to call both parties who are in leadership to a place of repentance and to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. We've got both in this room, and it's the healthiest the church has ever been. Don't shout me down. If we're really truthful, then we have to recognize that there are principles that both of those two main parties stand on, and they can take Scripture and substantiate their position. That's the truth. All right, I'll leave that alone. I've got to move on. The brook dried up. And you know what? Sometimes God takes us through seasons where he challenges so, so that our faith is grown, so we put our trust in him. For a season in the 70s, I came through the whole faith movement, and it was about prosperity and confession. And, and I'm thankful there are some principles that came out of that message that I still adhere to because they're biblical. There's some of it that went awry and got out of whack, the whole blab it and grab it kind of a routine. But they did teach me that God does want to bless me. But I also learned from that that just because I'm going through a season where it doesn't seem like I can find a blessing doesn't mean that God has forsaken me. Right. The faith movement t- tells you that Job lied in Job 121. When Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've heard their preachers. I'm not going to say names, but I've heard the famous people out of that whole faith message say that Joe Blyde here, and I just can't accept that. I think that that there are seasons in our lives where you look around and it's just like, no matter what you do, you've got favor and abundance is just being poured out on you. There are other seasons in your life, if you live long enough, sometimes it's like you can't rub two pennies together. But it's amazing how God will get one of those ravens to drop a quarter pounder into your lap somewhere. And so my whole point is, is that if we split this up and we cherry pick our favorite places of scripture and we just preach the lord gives the lord gives the lord gives then we're missing it There are some people over in the other extreme who preach a poverty message all the time and it's just basically all the emphasis is the lord takes away the lord takes away the lord's dealing with you and the whole point is which one of those is right the answer is yes Both of them are right. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. The mature saint doesn't gravitate toward a prosperity-only message and say, preach the Lord gives. The mature saint doesn't hang out over here with all the folks that are sick, sober, and sorry, broke, disgusted, and sad, started out traveling for Jesus and lost everything they had. (laughs) We don't gravitate to one or the other, but we see that the Lord does both. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and the mature saint says, blessed is the name of the Lord. So my brook dries up. The first thing I've got to do is get my ears tuned up. Listen to what the Lord says. And he says, go down to Zarephath in Sidon, for there I have commanded a widow to sustain you. The ravens are at Kareth. The widow is at Zarephath. You've heard the story this morning. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. But I just want to challenge you with this right here. If you're in a place of lack... Can you hear the prophetic word this morning? I'm not Elijah, but the heavenly Elijah, Jesus, is speaking through. He's the voice within the voice. He's challenging you to not be afraid, but to not think of yourself first. Think of him. Put Jesus. Jesus is the Elijah in this story. Too many times in Scripture, we read ourselves into the story in kind of a Isogetic narcissism. It's just, we just sort of put ourselves. We, we read David and Goliath, and we say, "Okay, we're David." No, 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 no. We're. Let me just tell you something. We are those cowering Israelites over there, hiding every time Goliath thunders. Jesus is David in the story, and we're just thankful that Jesus shows up. Are you hearing me this morning? We don't read ourselves into some kind of central position because the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. And thank God he loved us before the foundation of the world. He is our heavenly Isaac. God the Father is our Abraham, the father of our faith. Now you know what? You can be the widow in this story. The widow with a pathetic worldview where you're fearful and you're just coming down to the end of yourself and you're saying, I have nothing and what little I have and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. And Jesus, our heavenly Joshua, our heavenly Elijah, I'm sorry, is speaking into your life and he's saying, okay, that's fine. Go ahead and do that but bring it to me first. Give me something to eat and then go and fix something for yourself. When the woman obeyed, everybody say, the place of obedience. When the woman obeyed, unlimited provision became hers. The flower never ran out. The oil never ceased pouring. This morning, if you would, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just want to ask you right now, have you ever crossed that line of faith to say, Jesus, I am afraid. I'm nothing apart from you. I can't do anything. I don't have anything. The biggest vision I have is based on fear and I know that Apart from you, I'm certainly going to die an eternal death. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ gave us the picture of faith. He became the Lamb of God. He was sacrificed for us. The prophetic word of the Lord is coming into your life today. You can be like the widow woman who will, in a step of faith, put the word of the prophet first. This is not about an offering today. It's not about giving any kind of special gift In the way of money. But the greatest provision in your life comes by giving your heart because Jesus Christ became poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, so that we might be made rich with the blessings of heaven. I'm not talking about dollars and cents right now, I'm talking about eternal life. He that has the Son has life, he that has not the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him already. Today that's the question. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I just want to ask you this simple question. Have you ever taken the step to put your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone? It begins with a very simple understanding. You repent. You turn from your past. You've seen these places in the road where it says no U-turns. Well, it's legal to do a U-turn here. This this is a spot in the path and the journey that you're traveling. And, and, and there's a road sign out here right now in the guidance system of God. And I'm standing up here telling you right now, it's legal in this place for you to turn, to do a U-turn. You're going one way in your life and you turn around. That's literally what the word repent means. Change your mind. Change your mind about yourself. But first of all, change your mind about God. You turn to Him. You turn from sin. You turn to Him. And you believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternity. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, thank you for just bearing with me for a few moments, but no one looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I'm just going to say right now if you'd like to be included in this prayer that I'm about to pray, and you're ready to say, I'm turning, I've turned to the Lord. And I'm putting my trust in him. Like the widow, I'm going to obey the word of the prophet today. And I'm going to give something important to my heavenly Elijah, Jesus. If you would just by show of hands, I want to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Yes. See one in the corner over here? One here? Yes. Another one? Anybody else? I'll see those three. Anyone else? I'll give you a little bit of time. Thank you. Talking to believers now. You've known Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You've walked with Him. But there's a personal challenge in your own life right now in the area of lack. It may not be financial, it may be peace, it may be relational. You need some guidance. And you're looking to see this thing proven where God guides, God provides. God, I got to make some decisions. My business is at a pivotal point here, I'm in a crisis. God, lead me. God, guide me. People are sitting in this room today, and you need to make a decision. You need to discern and prove by testing what the will of the Lord is, the good and acceptable and perfect will. And I just ask you right now, if you'd like to be in prayer, included in this second prayer, I'm going to pray, just slip up your hand right now. Just say, God, I need some provision. I I need to know Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and provides, who leads and guides and guards my steps, several around the room. You can put your hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus, for this The first three or four who raised their hands and said, today, I'm doing a U-turn in this place. I'm repenting. I'm putting Jesus Christ at the lead of my life. I put my trust in him. I know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I turn to you and I believe in you, Jesus. Make that your own prayer right now, those of you who lifted your hands. Simply use these words, Jesus, save me. You don't have to know theology. You don't have to quote scripture. You need to know three critical words. Jesus, save me. God, thank you that you're doing the work that no man can do. The Holy Spirit of God is in this place. Lord, you're calling by name your sheep. In Jesus' name, we repent, we turn to you, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. and Your word says we shall be saved. Lord, for the believers in this room, the hands went up all over the room that are in a place of lack right now. You're our shepherd, and you've said, Lord, that we will not want. Lead us, God. Guide us. Where you guide us, thank you that your provision, you provide for us, it shows up. Lord, some people need some finance in this place today. Some people need some peace in their homes, in their relationships. Lord, some have to make some critical decisions. Be with them. Guard and guide them, I pray, by the power of the Holy Ghost. We seek your face. You are our great provider. We don't look to ourselves. Forgive us when we thought that we've worked and made the life we have because it's the Lord our God who gives us the power to get wealth. We will not forget. We will remember that it is the Lord who has given us our skills and our talents and breath in our lungs. Jesus' name. Bless these people, O Lord, I pray today. And all of God's people said